Praise the Lord, everybody. Can I just say ditto and go sit down? <laughs> well, if they said yes, I still wouldn't be able to because I don't feel like God wants me to. And uh, I still feel like we can have some church in here tonight. <clears throat> and I'm sorry you have to listen to me yet again. Uh, I do feel like I heard from the Lord today, and uh, I want to uh, preach to you what God's put on my heart. <clears throat> Man, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to go to two passages of Scripture. First one is Nehemiah 13, second one is 2 Kings chapter number 4, <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter 13, and then 2 Kings chapter 4. As you're turning there, I... I have to say, I can't agree more with what these men have said tonight. I think I'm going to drive my people nuts with references to Africa too much. But Bishop, I can tell you, what happened in Africa has stirred this guy up. To sit there and listen to 275 Trinitarians back up a preacher as he's preaching one God message and the anointing fall in that place just as strong as it fell the year at Admit that you preached it was powerful 53 people we baptized that day and it wasn't just put them in the water and send them on their way it was put them in the water and the power of God fall. And to experience that in Africa, I've been doing some soul searching here because I want to see it at my church. Brother Weems, I've got to see revival. And it, revival, it, it, as Bishop said, it doesn't begin... When people start showing up that's never been in church before. The bishop's done this before. I've done it at my church. I had my folks, I said, I want you to literally draw an imaginary circle around you. And I told them, I said, within that circle is where the revival in this church is going to begin. And I have preached and I have preached and I have preached about seeking God. Putting ourselves aside. And I hope that somebody is getting the picture. But I want to see revival. It's going to involve not just 5 to 10 or 15 minute prayer meetings in the morning time. It's not going to be just going through the motions when we get to church but it's going to be us giving our everything. Amen. And also I believe what we're going to talk about tonight adds to what is required for us to go forward in revival. Amen. Praise the Lord. Nehemiah chapter 13. I'm going to read verse 4 through Four and five. Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 4 says, And before this, Eliashib the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God, was allied unto Tobiah. And he had prepared for him a great chamber, where aforetime they laid the meat offerings, the frankincense, the vessels, the tithes of the corn, the new wine, the oil, which was commanded to be given to the Levites and the singers and the porters and the offerings of the priests. Eliashib put Tobiah in a great chamber in the house of God. Second Kings chapter number 4. 
just briefly reading through verse 8, from 8 verse, verse 8 to 10. And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman. And she constrained him to eat bread, and so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said to her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is an holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall. And let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. And it shall be when he comes to us. Then he shall turn in thither. Can we ask the Lord to meet with us tonight and let his anointing meet with us today? We need him tonight. Lord, we love you. Let's worship the Lord all over this place tonight. Can we do it for just a moment more? Can we worship him? Oh, we love you, Jesus. We exalt your most holy name here tonight, God. You are worthy to receive honor and glory and praise here today. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord most high. Amen. You can be seated tonight. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise God. <clears throat> Elisha, last time I was here and preached, we built a wall. We read where Elisha was one of the first ones mentioned in chapter two, chapter 3 on where he built the wall. And uh, we talked about this wall in Nehemiah. That they finally built despite the troubles that they saw. And we, we went, I talked about it for a long time. Didn't finish that message, but some other time we may come back and visit that again. But as I was praying, I began to look at Eliashib. Towards the end, I saw something about Eliashib that concerned me. And as I began to study chapter 13 in Nehemiah, we see that Elisha, he, come to find out, he is related to Tobiah. Tobiah, if you'll recall, was one of the men, one of the ringleaders of those that were trying to intimidate those building the wall, trying to stop the work of God from going forward. I... I I got to looking, and it, it looks like Tobiah came over with Zerubbabel to build the wall before Nehemiah got there. And I began to think, Pastor, and maybe I'm wrong, but Sanballat and Tobiah, they came with Zerubbabel. My, my thinking was, those men thought their position was being challenged when Nehemiah came. I could be wrong there. But people do some pretty crazy things when they feel like they're about to lose the position they've been, they've been in. It's, it's just true. It's happened to me in the workplace. It's happened to me in multiple places. It's just human nature. If you've been in a position for any amount of time, I know many of you can attest to this. And somebody rolls in and they... They seem like they're steamrolling and, and they just keep coming up the ranks before long. Yeah, they're probably going to replace you. Unless you start doing something to make yourself stable enough to where they can't take your position. Anyway, that's not what I came to talk about. But Tobiah, he was related to Eliashib. 
And there, here at the end of uh, Nehemiah, Nehemiah we find, Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 6, he said, but in all this time, he said, I was not in Jerusalem. Because in the 2 and 30th year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, came I unto the king, and after certain days obtained I leave of the king to return back to Jerusalem. Nehemiah said, I had to leave for a little while. Fully trusting that Eliashib and those that were in charge would be able to, to withstand whatever were, were to come. I don't know how long Nehemiah had been gone. I didn't do my, the deep study to find that portion out. But just kind of boggles my mind that Tobiah, the one that was causing problems, he was threatening, he was making fun of them, and he was allying with other folks around that region trying to stop the work that God had sent Nehemiah to do. And Eliashib the high priest somehow, the King James says, allied himself with Tobiah and gave Tobiah a room in the house of God. Kind of uh, threw me for a loop when I realized this I, I had never seen it I was talking to brother Stewart one day and he said have you ever considered this before it blew my mind I had never seen it before I'd read Nehemiah so many times never thought about this and Nehemiah comes home from Babylon and he gets back to Jerusalem and we find what he, he finds what Eliashib has done Nehemiah chapter 13 verses 7 through 9 says, And I came to Jerusalem and understood of the evil of that Eliashib did for Tobiah. Which tells me Tobiah hadn't repented. He had just weaseled his way in somehow. And Eliashib being in charge of the chambers of the house of God allowed him to stay inside the house of God. The other thing that I, I, I that stood out to me, and, I, and I'm going to move quickly away from this here in just a moment, but I thought about Eliashib. He didn't just give him a chamber in the temple, not just any of them, but he gave them a, a great chamber, the Bible said, which, as Brother Chad said, was intended to be a storehouse. Hold on to that for a little while. We'll come back to it in a few minutes. But you think about what Nehemiah felt when he walked in that day. And he looked at the chamber in the storehouse and he said, Whose is this stuff? Where did this stuff come from? This, is, this doesn't belong here. This is for the articles, for the Levites. The things that they need to perform their duties, all of that should be in here. Whose stuff is this? Come to find out it's Tobiah's in Nehemiah, in, in Nehemiah chapter 13 verse 7 said, And I came to Jerusalem, understood the evil that Eliashib did for Tobiah in preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me sore. Therefore I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I commanded, and they cleansed the chambers, and thither brought I again the vessels of the house of God with the meat offering and the frankincense. Get this picture in your mind. The man that God had sent to rebuild the city had called him, told him to go rebuild the walls, get everything in order. He gets there. They get the walls built. They get the gates put up. Everything's put together. And now he has to go back and report back to King Artaxerxes. And while he's gone, he leaves these men that were so behind him while he was there. They were working alongside him. These were the same men. Elisha was one of those men that was standing there with a sword on his hip and a trowel in his hand. He was working and fighting at the same time if need be. Eliashib, 
He was behind Nehemiah. But the man of God stepped away. And for whatever reason, Eliashib lost his burden and allowed himself to become weakened and be affected by the enemy. And before Eliashib realized I have to say, it had to have been a gradual process or something because I, I can't imagine that Eliashib, in the state that he was in before in building the wall alongside Nehemiah, all of a sudden decide, hey, I'm going to go completely contrary to the man that God sent to us. And he allowed Tobiah in the house. Amen. Our second text I read from 2 Kings chapter number 4. Many of us are very familiar with the Shunammite woman. <clears throat> she was a great woman. No, she was not a large woman. It's all right. You can smile. She was a wealthy woman from what I could find. She was one of means. Put it that way, she, she had uh, what she said, carried some weight. <laughs> Bad choice of words. But she was a woman of importance. Thank you. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> In fact, Elisha said, do you want me to talk to the king for you? I mean, was there something, is there something that I can do for you? She said, no, I have my people. But this woman, all the Bible tells us is that she saw Elisha passing back and forth. And at one point in time, she constrained him. She went out and beckoned him to come in and eat with them. And from that point on, from what I can tell in the Scripture, it became a common occurrence. When he came in the area, he stopped by the Shunammite's house and ate dinner with her and her family and spent time with them. And at some point, she realized, hey, this isn't just another average Joe coming by the house. This guy, there's something different about him. I perceive that he's a man of God. And so she decided, from her perception, she decided, I'm going to go talk to my husband, and we're going to build a chamber for the man of God on the side of our house. So that when he comes by, he doesn't just, have, he doesn't just stop and eat with us. But he can stop, he can rest, he can stay as many days as he wants to. That's his room. We're not going to touch it except for maybe to make sure it's clean and make sure he has what he needs in there. That's the man of God's room. She said, I'm going to make a room, a chamber for him. And so they did. She made a room for God to work. I'm, I'm kind of. I'm going to take this. I understand the, the, the what we can and should take from this passage of scripture, and I'll say it outright: the man of God, you need to make a room in your life for the man of God. I'll say it again: you need to make a room in your heart for the man of God. So when he comes to the pulpit. He can come on in at will and say, all right, hey, I feel there's probably something not so right here. You with me tonight? Unlike Eliashib, when the man of God left, he said, hey, enemy, why don't you come on in here? Man of God's not around. He ain't going to know anything. I don't know when he's coming back, but he's not around right now, so come on in. We could go that route tonight, but that's not what I felt like going. But when I began to think about this and what God began to work on my heart about, 
was there were two chambers that were discussed in these two passages of Scripture. One chamber, the individual allowed the enemy into a room in a building that he was in charge of. The Shunammite woman, I guess the house wasn't big enough, I don't know, but the Shunammite woman we find when she found the man of God and God began to work in her life, she decided, hey, I'm going to make room for God to work in our family. A home, the building in which she was in control of, she prepared a room for God to work in her life. She had to spend some money. I don't know how many of you have been through a construction project before. A room addition on the house. They've got to dig the footers. They got to put in the wall if you're putting the basement in. And they got to do all the extra work. That makes a mess in the yard. So she had, I, I, she had to go through a time where her house was disoriented. Those crazy sheetrock guys were dragging sheetrock dust all through the house. She had to constantly be cleaning up after them. If you ever seen any or been around where sheetrock work's being done, you have to dust every single day. And if you're paranoid kind of person, you have to do it five or six times a day. Because it's messy. But she was willing to do whatever it took to allow God into her life and to affect her world. You riding with me tonight? I know I'm going slow. I don't know if I'm going to get much faster tonight. But I want to deliver what I feel like God's got on my heart. Amen. Because of what this woman had done, I said it a moment ago, Elisha told Gehazi, he said, I want you to go to her and I want you to ask her, what is it that you need from me or from God? What is it that you need? Is there anything that I can do for you? Do I, can I go speak to the king on your behalf? Is, is there something I can do for you, Shunammite woman? Because of the things that you have done for God, it's not just for the man of God. It goes far deeper. When you do something for the man of God in your life, it goes so much deeper than, than anything that you can, you can imagine. You, you begin to do things for the man of God. You begin to go out of your way to help the man of God. I can promise you, God will bless you in ways you never, you never even thought he would come around in your life. I'm, I'm preaching from experience. I am. God's blessed me and so, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm somebody you need to look at, all right? I, I'm just speaking from experience. God gave me a man of God. I love that man. I'd do anything for that man. In fact, I was thinking when you were talking about Elder Davis, I was thinking about a conversation you and I had in, in Africa. And I, I told him, I, I think I said something about, I, I'll follow you or I, I'll follow your lead or something. You, he said, oh, don't follow me. You wind up somewhere in a ditch or something. And I looked at him. I said, you know what? No, I've been following you for a long time. And where this man led ended up putting me in, in a church somewhere that I'm pastoring now. And allowed me to be in Africa and be a part of baptizing over 53 people and experience the mighty move of God that we experienced. That's the kind of man I want to follow. Somebody that's kingdom minded. Somebody that, that they'll do anything to see a soul saved. That's what I'm talking about tonight. 
building a room somewhere that will allow God to begin to work in your life. Maybe on your life. But nonetheless, when the job is done, you'll be a vessel that he can use. But you have to open the door to him first. You have to open the chamber to him first and allow him to come into that chamber and do what he wants to do. When he wants to do it. But because of what this Shunammite woman had done, we find that Elisha found out she was childless. She was barren. And he told her that she was going to have a child. And she had a child. God provided. And believe it or not, that child that God provided died one day. Bible says they were out in the field working. I don't know exactly why he died, but the child died. Father took him to the Shunammite woman. She took him, and because she had built a room on the house, she had a place to take her dead child. You want to talk about revival? You want to talk about revival? To make something alive again that was dead. That's revival. She took her son who was dead, who was lifeless. She laid him out on the bed and she left. She told her servant, she said, hey, go get the donkey. We got to go find the man of God. And she went. She found the man of God. The man of God said, how are you doing? She said, I'm doing all right. It's well. He said, but something's not right. And she came and told him what was going on. He sent Gehazi. And then he went himself. But not only did she receive a promised child, but because she had prepared a room, God brought to life her dead child again. We talked about Elisha. We've talked about the Shunammite woman. But as I was praying and studying today, another man came to mind. We all know him well. His name is Jesus. Many of us know the story of how Jesus came to Jerusalem as he, was, as he knew he was going to be crucified. He went to the temple. And when he got to the temple, he saw something that turned his insides. I can imagine Nehemiah felt the way that Jesus did when he walked in the temple, arriving back from Babylon, and saw Tobias junk in that room. I know I, I would have walked in. Whose junk is this, guys? I don't know if I would have been able to contain myself, Brother Hilton. You've seen me get upset. I'd be more than picking up my little brother and throwing him on a bed. I would be picking up some junk like Nehemiah did and throwing it out the window. Probably be burning that junk. That's Tobias stuff. I don't care. It was where it don't belong. It was defiling a place that it shouldn't have been in. Oh, we can't allow things in the church. We can't allow things in our lives that can defile us like the enemy tried to do to the house of God in Nehemiah. There's no telling what Tobiah, what kind of damage he could have done from the inside. But Nehemiah said, hey, I'm not putting up with this junk. We're getting this man out of here. We're putting back in this room what belongs in this room. We have a job to do. We have the law to keep. And God has commanded that this room hold the things that are holy. And Jesus walked into the temple in Jerusalem. And he walks in and he sees people 
sitting around with their tables. They had their cages of doves. They had their sheep. They had their rams. They had all of these things out there for sale. And Jesus walks in the temple. One passage. I assume he saw it before he got there. Because he went and he made himself cat of nine tails. A whip. And he walked into that temple. And he drove those people out of there. And I had a discussion with a man on the job one day. He said, you know, God is love. So yeah, you're right. God is love. That's exactly right. You can find... Throughout Scripture, the Bible describes him as such. He said, and so love isn't going to ever get angry. I looked at him, I said, you ever had anybody try to mess with your wife before? That's the first thing that came to my mind, I'm sorry. I haven't had anybody try to mess with my wife yet. But honey, if I find out, I'm going to get pretty angry. And I'm going to probably have to have a few guys check me. Because I'm going to find somebody's house. Brother Chad. No, I wouldn't. I think you would respond in the same way. That's what I'm talking about. <clears throat> but you fall in love with somebody or something. Honey, nothing's going to touch that thing. You try to mess with my kids. You're going to see some love raise up some anger. And I ain't going to tolerate somebody messing with my children. So don't tell me love don't have anger whatsoever. But he said, well, you're talking about you. We're talking about Jesus. Oh, okay. So I have my iPhone. I pulled out my Bible. I said, so explain this to me. I went to Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 and 13. I said, and Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. I said, he overthrew them. He goes, wait a minute, are you sure that that's Jesus you're talking about? I said, yeah, I am positive. It says it right there. That's what Matthew said. I believe Matthew. Because this is the Bible. It's just as relevant as John 3.16. Jesus got angry. And he told him, get out of here. He didn't just say, hey, will you, hey guys, you shouldn't be in here doing this. You know, I, I think you need to just go. Will you please leave? No, I'm not going to do it. But I was, you flip over those tables. Ah! Get out of here, boys. What are you doing here? I've already done this once before. What are you doing back here? I remember you from three years ago. When I started my ministry, you guys were in here. I've been out doing the work of God. Now come back to the house of God and here you are again. What in the world do you think you're doing? Get out of here. He drives them out of the house of God. He began to clean out the chamber of the house of God. The main room where they're selling things. I don't know exactly where they were, but he began to clean it out and say, you ain't supposed to be here. Not doing this junk. A passion. <laughs> Consumed him. Scripture says the zeal of thine house has eaten me up. He said.
said, I'm not going to tolerate this mess. They're not supposed to be here. I've got to clean it out. I've got to make room for the holy. I've got to make room for what God wants to do. I've got to make room. I've got to make room. There's too much junk in here. It, it's, 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 it's completely, it's, it's distracting everybody from what God wants to do. I've got to get it out. I've got to get it out. Because in just a few days, I'm going to be hanging on a cross. And my spirit's going to reach down and I'm going to rip. I'm going to rip that veil. And I'm going to open it up. But I can't have any sin in this place. <laughs> I can't allow things to take, take place in here that shouldn't be taking place in here. It's got to be pure. It's got to be holy. If my perfect will is going to be done, I've got to have it clean. You know, as I read through it, we read verses 21, chapter 21, verses 12 and 13 of Matthew. Pastor, as I got to verse 14, I realized something. And you said it tonight. And I was always putting my notes together. I, I, was, I don't know if you've ever done it, but I was sitting there. I was like, man, I'm missing something. And you said something up here while I go, and it clicked all together. I was like, oh, that's it. The Bible says that after Jesus cleansed the temple and he drove out the sinners from in the house of God and he cleaned out the chamber that had been built just to serve the Lord for the priests to be able to do their ministry as the law had called. As soon as he had finished the Bible says in verse 14, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. And he healed them. Sounds like revival to me. Sounds like revival to me. But that wasn't all that happened. Because in verse 15, I almost left this out, but I began to look at it. I said, oh, I can't. In verse 15, it talks about how the chief priests and the scribes saw all the wonderful things that he had done. And the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna. Hosanna to the son of David. Say, so what does that have to do with anything? Well, God began to perform miracles after the house of God was cleaned out. But they were talking tonight, and I kept on remembering. I never forget it. We didn't get halfway through the first song on a Sunday morning. And all of a sudden, the power of God fell in this sanctuary. The musicians couldn't play. The singers couldn't sing. The preacher couldn't say a word. All we did was fall on our face and worship God. And it wasn't just the adults that were doing it. But I remember us, the children. <laughs> as the children that were fussing and running around and being crazy, they all stopped. Some of them began to pray. But the rest of the young ones that begin to sit around in reverence as to what the Lord was doing. <laughs> but if you remember, if you were there, that came. It was almost three solid months. We were meeting here, five, six o'clock in the morning. We weren't leaving until 11, 12 o'clock in the afternoon, in the in midday. I don't know how many times I was late for work. During that, those few months, I get to work and my voice is gone. I can't talk. This is when I'm working Chick-fil-A. Remember those days, Brother Hilton. And yesterday, if you'll let me, 
just for a few more minutes. I'm not going to be much longer. I'm about where I want to be. Yesterday, we had our first church social at our place. And the, there's a couple ladies been coming on Sunday mornings. It's an older lady. She's 79 years old. Brother Nick, we began to talk yesterday. And she began to talk to me about what it was like in the Korean church that she was a part of that began in Kansas City. She said, I was one of ten people that began that church. She said, and we grew and we grew. She said, but she calls me pastor all the time. She's a pastor. She said, I want you to know, <clears throat> we didn't knock a lot of doors. She said, but what we did. She said, Pastor, we would schedule revivals. And she said, what we knew was revival was the people would take off almost a month at a time from work. She said, we would break it up so that they wouldn't lose their jobs. But she said, those that could take off, they would take off a full entire week of work. And she said, on Monday morning, we would show up at the church and we start praying at 8 o'clock in the morning. And she said, Pastor, I prayed until after midnight, many of those nights. She looked at me, she said, Pastor, I never was able to do it. She said, but there were some people in those prayer meetings that fasted from Monday at 8 in the morning until Friday. I said, no food, no water? She said, no food, no water. I said, that's physically impossible. She said, they did it. I said, that had to have been God. I don't know if these people had the whole truth or not. I don't know. But as she was talking inside my heart, I wanted to start breaking out a week and say, God, why can't we do that anymore? When it's hard for us when an evangelist comes on a Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, it's hard for us to make it to church on time, maybe not even make it at all on one of those nights. But there was a time where people were hungry and they desired a deep move of God. And all she was talking to me, I could hear that man's voice in my head from Africa. Deeper! 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 And as I prayed this afternoon, I just told the Lord, I said, God, I've built you a chamber in my life. But I stand here before you, an humble man, tonight and say, look, I have allowed too many things to distract me and to clutter up the chamber of my life. And I came to preach to some people. What does your chamber look like right now? When's the last time you went back and opened the door and walked in and said, oh, it's okay. I think the Lord would feel comfortable in here. Or are you too afraid to open the door tonight? The Shunammite woman said, I don't care what it costs me. I've got to build a chamber. I've got to make it. Because I need the move of God in my life. Wednesday afternoon, I, I was trying to get things done at work. I was on an all-day phone call, which was pretty much dead air for the most part. 
I decided I wanted to go on to the website, because I do this often, and I, I, grab a, I try to grab some of the latest messages that have been preached around. I'm behind on pastors. I, I'm one of those guys I can't, I can't just jump in the middle of a, a series of lessons. I, I want to know what was started. So I'm behind on all of the lessons, but I saw Brother Merriman's message from Sunday night. I told him the other day I wasn't trying to make him feel good. I wasn't trying to give him accolades. But I, I just told him, I said, brother, thanks for preaching to me. I kid you not. I had it playing in the background while I was on, the, on that phone call and I was on mute and all that good stuff. And he got down to the end of his message. And God came in that office of mine and I, I took off my headphones, shut my computer down. And I fell in my love seat down there in my office and I began to cry out to God. Stir me up, God. <laughs> Clean the chamber in my life. God, I want to be ready. God, I want to see the blinded eyes open. I want to see the miracles. But most of all, God, I want to see souls saved. And according to what I can find in the scripture, according to the Shunammite, and according to what happened in the temple after Jesus cleansed it, and what happened at, in Jerusalem after they cleansed out the temple and got everything in order, we're not going to experience that power and that glory until our chambers are pure and ready for God to begin to dwell within them. I hope you're here in my heart tonight. Oh. The chambers that we ought to keep clean. Yeah, we need to keep the house of God clean. We don't want sin in the house of God. Not in this building. Not in the church building in Lynn Valley or in Edgerton or in Mission. We don't want sin in those buildings. I think that's a given. But I'm not talking about a physical building tonight. Paul said what? No, you're not. That your body, this thing that you were born with, that you have to get up and look at in the mirror, for some, unfortunately, for some, I don't know. It's unfortunate for me. But this flesh, this body that God has given It's the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God. Look at this. He said, you are not your own. He just trusted you with it. Because verse 20, he said, because you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I could spend a lot of time talking on this one passage of Scripture tonight. But I just wanted to pull it out to remind you that this your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And Brother Andrew, you're not your own. You got the Holy Ghost. He paid a price. And he is trusting that you're going to take care of that temple just like you would this building. 
just like you would the temple of God if you were to walk in it today. You ought to treat your temple and keep it pure and keep it clean. Every single chamber that is inside of it, you've got to keep it pure and holy before God. Finally, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you do what? Present your what? Oh, come on. Present your body. A living sacrifice. Holy. Not W-H-O-L-L-Y. But H-O-L-E-Y. L-E-Y. Oh, my goodness. H-O-L-Y. Sorry, Sister Desiree. I did graduate, but it was A-C-E. Holy, holy, I said holy, are you with me tonight, holy, acceptable unto God, but Paul said that's just your reasonable service, it's what's expected of you to make sure that your temple is clean. I don't want to be Eliashib tonight. I can't afford to be Eliashib tonight. He may have repented. I didn't look into all that. Maybe he did. I, I don't know. But I'm talking about the Eliashib in Nehemiah 13. I can't be that man. I can't afford to allow the enemy that I have been fighting all my life to weasel his way into one of the chambers of my heart. Because this is the temple that he's put me in charge of. And it's important that I keep it clean and the holy things where the holy things belong. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19 through 22. Paul said, now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. And of the household of God. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And in verse 21 he said, In whom all the building finely framed together. Groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. And verse 22 is crucial. In whom you also are builded together for an habitation. You know what that means? So that he can live there. So he can make it his home. He built this body so he can live there. He paid the price so he can live there. But if it's full of clutter, he can't live inside of there. If you've allowed something else in there, you've got to remove it so he can move back in. I'm here tonight to tell you, we've got to do whatever. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. To make sure that the chambers of our heart are pure and holy unto God. If it means I have to add something to my life, then I'm going to build a room. If it means I've got to take some junk out of my life, then I'm going to take that junk out of my life. And I'm going to get rid of it. And I'm not going to go back to it. I'm not going to put it back in the closet for later on. I'm not going to bookmark it on my browser so I can go back later if I feel like I, I want to fall back a little bit. But I want it gone. Cash deleted. 
history completely gone. I don't want any trace of sin in my life whatsoever. I want my chamber clean. I want the chambers of my heart pure. I've got to do whatever it takes. Because he paid the price. You know what I've been realizing as I study the scripture is Brother Goff, he desires to live inside of me more than I really want him to live inside of me. His love bids me come more than I desire to draw close to him. Um, I, Brother Merriman said something a while ago. He said, the more you taste of the good things, the more you want them. And my mind kind of went carnal for a second, and I thought about going to my mother-in-law's house when she just cooked, baked some, I don't know what it's called, some cheesecake. <laughs> I don't know if you bake it or what you do with it. But I know how to get rid of it. Sorry, I don't want to kill it, but I want to make a point. She asked me if I want some more after my first or second slice. I'll decline, but I have been known to slip into the kitchen later because my appetite was whetted, because that's some good stuff. You ain't never had it. When she decides to cook it, you better grab some because it's going to be gone. If it's not just between me and Pastor, it's going to go fast. But the love of God is like that. You hear me tonight? Look, I'm afraid. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about right now. But all you need is one touch. You'll never forget it all your life. You never will. You can try all the drugs that are available in this world, but you're never going to get that same feeling, Brother Jared. You're not going to find what you're looking for after you felt it one time. When you taste of it, Brother Merriman, you've got to have some more. And when you get some more and you go deeper <laughs> and you go deeper and it tastes so much better and you go a little deeper and it tastes so much more, it tastes so much better and so much richer that one day you're just going to say, you know what, I'm, <laughs> I don't want anything else. This is like the third or fourth time this came to me, okay, and pastor, if I'm wrong, you, you pull me down and you set me down, but your YouTube videos, they won't entice you anymore. Yeah, I've been down that road before. Facebook's good about trapping you in. They may not be bad videos. But how much time did you waste on that? I told my church, I said, look guys. One thing have I desired of the Lord. I preached this this morning. That's what I'm seeking after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord for all the days of my life. The psalmist said, that goodness and mercy would follow him because he has a desire to dwell in the house of God, to get in to that place of his spirit. Look, church, we're not going to see what God wants to give us if we're not willing to go to the deepest depths that we possibly can in the spirit. We need more people praying three and four hours before church. 
We need people that God can wake up in the middle of the night and say, hey, I need you praying. I need you on your face. Somebody has a need. Somebody's lost and dying, and they need you to intervene for them. When's the last time, and I'm preaching to myself, I know two or three hours ain't a lot of sleep. When's the last time you sacrificed when you felt that nudge in the middle of the night? You came knocking, hey, hey, I need you for a minute. I need you to cry out. (laughs) I prayed over the last few weeks, God, I want you to wake me. If it's just so we can talk for a little while, I want you to wake me. Because I want a closer relationship with him. Hallelujah. Can we stand tonight? Let me ask you, when's the last time you went back and checked that room? Are you scared too? I've been there. But I can promise you this, once you let the Lord in there and he helps you clean it out, it's going to be so much better. All afternoon, as I was praying, this song came to my mind. I hadn't heard it in a while. I don't know if anybody knows it, knows how to play it. But I'm going to read this lyrics to you. To my heart, it's like a house. One day I let my Savior in. There are many rooms where we would visit now and then. But then one day, he saw the door. And I knew that day had come too soon. I said, Jesus, I'm not ready. For us to visit in that room. The chorus, first chorus said, that's a place in my heart where even I wouldn't go. I have some things hidden. I don't want no one to know. But he handed me the key with tears of love in his face. He said, I want to make you free. Let me go. In your secret place. Verse 2, he said, so I opened up the door. And as the two of us walked in, I was so ashamed. His light revealed my hidden sin. But when I think about that room now, I'm not afraid anymore. (laughs) Because I know my hidden sin no longer hides behind that door because that was a place in my heart where even I wouldn't go because I had some things hidden there I didn't want no one to know. But he handed me the key with tears of love on his face and he made me clean. I let him in my secret place. And the Booth brothers finished it like this. They said, is there a place in your heart where even you won't go? I pose the same question to somebody here tonight. Is there a place in your heart? Is there a place in your heart that you won't go to. Will you let him in? Look, he's going to hand you the key. You have to open the door. He's not going to break the door down. Is there a place you won't go? Is there a chamber that you need to clean out tonight? 
I don't know who I'm talking about to tonight. If it's just me, then I'm going to go find me a place to pray. But I can tell you, I believe it with all the fiber of my being that I am talking to some more than someone tonight. More than just one in this place. Is there something that you need to lay on the altar before God? If there is, come make your way down this place this night. And lay it on the altar and let the Lord into that secret place. Oh, come on, let's respond to the Holy Ghost bidding you come tonight. Uh, it may not be some horrible sin. It may just be a small distraction. But anything that will stop the move of God will destroy your soul. Uh, I'm asking you, let's search out, let's reach out to heaven tonight. Let's call upon the Lord this evening. That's it, let's, let's talk to him.